If you're only putting on the shell rush, you only make the bracha al mitzvah tefillin. Says Ramal, the our custom is to make two brachas every day. You just make the on the shell rush, both of those brachas. But if you're only putting on the shell yad, then you only make the lahaniach bracha. The place and the way that you put them on the place of the twillin of Shalyad is on the left arm with the swollen flesh that's on the bone between the elbow and the armpit. And one should turn, face the twillin a little towards the body, in such a way that when you bend your arm lamata below you can negative it will be corresponding to your heart. And you will fulfill the verse that says, and these words shall be upon your heart. Says the and you need to put it at the part of the bone that's closer to the elbow. But not in the half of the bone of the forearm of the upper arm that is closer to the armpit. One who is has an amputated hand and doesn't have and only has an arm should put on film without a bracha. The proper way is to have the yud of the knot of the tefillin shalyad next to the heart, but fila alav l'tzad chutz, and the tefillin facing outwards. Yeshli zar shaloi tozuz yud shalakesh about tefillah, and you should take care that the yud of the knot should not be separate from the box of the tefillin. Gimel hamenegan nachan l'sakin shema aberta shebahar etzua iveres. The proper minhag is that the uh, area of space that the strap passes through, that should be towards the shoulder, and the box part should be towards the hand. There should be no separation between one's tefillin and, and flesh. No matter, irrespective of whether we're talking about the shalyad or shalrash. That's only for tefillin. But for the straps, one needn't be concerned. Hey, Adam Shaw Alul Linzilus, someone who uh, gets ill. And if we would insist that he puts the Twilin Shell Rush directly on his skin, he wouldn't put on Twilin at all. Uh, we, are, we may permit him to put the Twilin Shell Rush on a thin cap close to the head, but cover up uh, for concern for those who see it. One who puts on Twilin like this, Lahaniach. shouldn't make the bracha on the shalrash, but should only make the lahaniach on the shalyad. Vav. Someone who's left-handed. If you do everything with your left hand, then you put on your left hand, which is everyone else's right hand. In other words, the left hand the person should put on their right hand. If he's ambidextrous, then he puts on everyone on his left hand, as everyone else. If he writes with his right hand, and everything else he does with his left, he writes with his left, and everything else he does with his right. Some say that he should put the tefillin on the weaker hand, because the pasuk requires us to have the weaker hand. That the writing hand is the right hand, and therefore put on tefillin uh, on whichever is the weaker hand, the one that you don't write with. Says and that's the practice. Zion. 
Even if a person has a wound in a place he puts on tefillin, he should still put on tefillin. Because the truth is, on the arm there's actually enough room for two tefillin, because the bone close to the arm pierced, from halfway until the elbow, that's the place of putting on tefillin, so there's still sufficient room. The length of the shelgad strap, Kadesh Takif needs to be long enough that it surrounds the arm. And you should be able to tie the knot with it and then stretch it out to his middle finger. And turn it, twist it around his finger three ties, and then tie it up. And the general custom is to turn it around the hand six or seven times. When you're placing the on your upper arm, you shouldn't t- twist it over the top of the tefillin, over the area that you place the tefillin to pass through, uh, in order to strengthen it on the hand. Test. The place of putting on the tefillin shalrash is from the beginning of where the hair begins on top of the forehead, until the end of the place that uh, the soft part of the head uh, for a baby. Yud. The knot on the back of the shalrash needs to be above in the skull area. It needs to be also where you still have hair. And the box of the trill needs to be in the middle of your head, in the front. That it should correspond to between your eyes. And in the back, it also needs to be in the middle and shouldn't move from side to side. And the part of the knot that looks like a dalit should be facing outwards. Same thing with the knot of the shelyad. You need to take care that it doesn't flip over. You need to take care that the black side of the straps is facing outwards. And that it doesn't flip over, whether we're talking about the shelyad or the shelyad. Hang the straps of the shell rush before you, and they should reach down to one's navel, a little above it. And the width of these straps of both the shell yad and shell rush should at least be the size of a barley seed. If you had less than the required amount of it, the length or width of the straps, if you don't have any other tefillin, so that you can wear those tefillin until you find others with the sufficient uh, length and width. The Tfilin Shalash should be exposed, revealed, and to be able to be seen. But a student, before his teacher, it's improper, it's not nice that he should be revealing, exposing his Tfilin before him. We need to be concerned about the Shalyad, whether they are concealed or revealed. And it appears to me that after Shemanich Mel Bismarck Krishma Tfila, that nowadays we only wear Tfilim by Wadavening, a Filtam of Ne Rabbi, even a student before his teacher, Yochel Galois, after Shel Rosh, can even reveal his Shel Rosh, and that is the meaning that we're not careful to to cover it. Simchachachachachas, chapter 28, the laws of removing Tfilim by Gimel Sifim. A person should constantly touch, feel his phone so that he doesn't stop thinking about them. Touch the shalyad first, and when you say, and you should find him as a sign on your hand, touch the shalyad, when you say, and they should be as a reminder between your eyes, touch the shalrash. You take off the tefillin shalrash first, because it says, and 
they shall be as reminders between your eyes. Anytime that it is between your eyes, we need the plural. And you need to remove the tefillin shall rush standing up. Then first put in the shall rush into the bag and upon it place the shell in order that when you come to put them on tomorrow you will encounter the shell yard first gimel the wise minhag is to kiss the tefillin when you're putting them on and when you're taking them off one should not make any when you're removing it even if you're removing them Shabbos at twilight now the reason for that is that when they used to remove the tefillin each evening they used to acknowledge you know thank you Hashem for giving me the opportunity to wear tefillin and similarly before Shabbos as well thank you for the opportunity but that's not the minhag similar Chapter 30, Zman Han Chasan, Vahes, Ifim, when should you put on Tefillin? Aleph. Zman Han Chasan, Baboka, the time to put on Tefillin is in the morning, Mishiras, Havera, Ragal, Imak, Sas, when you can see your friend that you're a little familiar with, Berichuk, Ab Amos, for Amos, Wabi, Akireno, and recognize him. Base. Also, Lanier, Tefillin, Balaylo, it's forbidden to put on Tefillin at night. Shem Yishkechem, Yishem, lest you forget and go to sleep in them. Bim, Hey, Nicham, Kurdish, Dishka, Kham, Vachashkalov. If you put them on before it, before sunset, and then it got dark, Afilahim, Alav, Kalaylo, Mutter. Even if they remain on all night, it's permissible for Ain Marion came, but don't spread that. That's not what we teach people. If he didn't remove his tefillin uh, when, as sunset happened because he didn't have any place to guard them, and they're still on him so that he could protect them, that's permissible. And that halacha we do teach. If somebody wanted to go on a journey um, early in the morning before dawn, he could put on his tefillin. And when the right time comes, feel them and make the bracha. Because one needn't be concerned that he might sleep them. Because he got up early, that's why it's still night time, and went on his journey. If he was on a journey and he has tefillin in his head, and then it got the sunset. He was sitting in the base medrash and still wearing his tefillin. And the sunset. Or became Shabbos even. He should place his hand over them until he gets home. And if there is a um, house close to the wall where they keep things, they guard things. So in a walled city, presumably they had these houses uh, where they would protect items for you. You can take them off there and leave them. Hey, some say that if you davened Mariv while it was still day, uh, until you put on tefillin, you shouldn't put on tefillin afterwards because you've already introduced the nighttime, uh, even though it's daylight outside. Now, the Achrenim say that indeed, if you haven't yet put on tefillin, then you should still put on tefillin, but without a bracha. Because they themselves are a sign between us and Hashem. And if you put another sign on, that would be a disgrace to the sign of Shabbos and Yom Tov. It's also forbidden to wear tefillin but it's mostly for the same reason. Because the days of Cholmod are also a sign. Says the Ramav Yashemrim, some say Cholmod chaybet film that we do wear film on Cholmod. Okay, no again. That's our custom. Chol glul is held in all of these regions. La nichem b'moed to put on film Cholmod l'varchalem to make a bracha. El she'en l'varchalem kol ram bevesek nezik shari moshashan. But we don't make a loud bracha in shul like throughout the year. And the Mishnah Berurah says that the uh, general Ashkenazi practice is not to make a bracha at all on Cholmod. Similar base said it's the order for writing tefillin of a nun base from Aleph. Mitzvah tefillin shiichav avapashias. The mitzvah of tefillin is that you should write four parshas shehein, which are the following: Kaddish di kavachar, ad until lemayada, v'hayakiv yacha 
ad until ki bechazigad hitzianu Hashem mitzrayim. Of Parshas Shema ad until uvisharecha. Of Parshas Ohayim Shemoya ad until Ahar. So those are the four paragraphs that we write in the Tefillin. Says the Ramah, Tarach the Kasim said, "Rather, you have to write them in this order." Lichter Tchila Kademas Batara, so that it's the same order as it appears in the Tarach. Vim Shina, and if you did it out of order, possible, it's invalid. Lichter Tchila Yichter Shel Yad Kam Shel Rosh, and ideally one should write the Shel Yad before one writes the Shel Rosh. Base. In Shel Rosh Yichter Kol Achas Beklaf Levada. In the Shel Rosh, you write all four. Uh, each of the four on an individual parchment, each of the four paragraphs. In the Shalyad, you write all of them on one single piece of parchment. Gimel. You should write it in black ink. Whether it has gold nut resin or whether it doesn't have gold nut resin. Says the Ramah, You should be strict to write with ink that was made from the soot of trees, or oil that was soaked in gold resin, uh, as will be explained later. If you wrote even one letter, with any other color or with gold, it's invalid. If you sprinkled gold dust over the letters, remove the gold, and so that you just have the writing beneath it, and then it's kosher. If you sprinkled the gold over one of God's names, there's no way to remedy it. Because you cannot remove the gold, because you would be deleting God's name. You have to take care that no letter is joined to its neighbor. Rather, every letter needs to be surrounded by parchment. And you should write very clearly that not even the tip of a yud should be missing. And it should all have the right crowns. You should write in a bold uh, script, a little, in order that it shouldn't be erased easily. It's also a mitzvah to beautify those letters inside and out. Hey, you need to write with your right hand, even if you're ambidextrous. If you're small, bustle. And if you were ambidextrous and you wrote with your left hand, it would be invalid. If you can find another pair of film that were written properly. And a left-handed person writes with their left hand, which is considered what we call his right hand. When we make... Normally, when a sofa writes, he scratches out the lines uh, to make an indent so that he keeps all the lines straight. So the Shulchan Aruch says that you only need to scratch out the top line. But if you are unable to write straight without this etched out line, you can etch out all of the lines. Don't etch it out with lead. Because that place of the scratching out will remain colored. That in all cases, we have to do the etching out above and below and from the sides. Even if you know how to do, write straight without the etching out. And this is our custom. It is a tradition back to Sinai that we need to put tefillin, write tefillin on a proper parchment. Not on a parchment. We'll see what that means in a moment. We write on the cloth parchment at the on the side of the flesh, and if you change that, it would be invalid. What's the difference between these two types of parchment? When you prepare a piece of skin to make it into parchment, you divide it into two. The outside half that is facing outwards towards the hair of the animal is called cloth. 
and the inside skin closer to the flesh is called Therefore, so when we say that you need to write on cloth in the place that's closer to the flesh, that means that's really the section that is connected to the other half of the skin, the duxustos. But the truth is, we don't cut them in half. That whole thing is called a cloth, and we write on them towards the flesh side. We scrape off the top the side that has to do that's connected to the hair and that's only to smooth it out and even if we were to divide it in two we would also scrape off the top hairy area and from the flesh side we also scrape off a lot until we really don't have it in any of what we would call previously all that's left is the cloth the parchment needs to be worked with gallnut or with lime it needs to be prepared for the purpose of making tefillin it's proper to actually say articulate at the time of the processing that you're preparing it for the sake of tefillin or sevatara but if you're preparing the parchment in the for the name of a mezuzah apostle that would be invalid because it's a lower level of sanctity Test. If a non-Jew processed it, it's invalid. Even if a Jew asks him to process it for the right purpose. And according to the Rosh, it's kosher if a Jew stands there and helps him. It helps him a little in preparation and processing. And this is our when we prepare that parchment and we want to be able to keep it for the purposes of making the tefillin, it's customary that we put little sign symbols of holes in using an awl. And the concern is that maybe a non-Jew would forge it, but he says it's fine, even though it would be easily forgeable. We're not concerned because the non-Jew would be scared that we would recognize that he had tampered with the with the parchment. Yudalov. A piece of parchment that was prepared not for the right purpose. If there's a remedy to go back and prepare it for the right purpose, it's probably true. Yerodea, Simon, Reish, Ayan, Aleph will be explained later. Yudbase. You can make parchment from the skin of any domesticated or wild animal or kosher bird. Even if they weren't shakted properly. But not from any non-kosh animals or birds. For it's written, in order that the Torah of Hashem should be in your mouth. Uh, so it needs to be from a species that is permissible to your mouth. Also, it can be from a skin of fish, a fellow Torah, even a kosher fish. Because it's very filthy. The parchment needs to be complete. Uh, they shouldn't have any holes in it. She ain't a joy over a love because the ink won't pass over it properly. Meaning that we don't want the letter to come out looking like it's divided into two. Yudalit. Hasofrim has risen. Those sofrim, those scribes who are particular, they make three types of parchment. They use a thicker type of parchment to write the paragraph of the Shema because it's short. And the one that's a little thinner, they used to write the second paragraph of the Shema. Because it's longer, 
and the two other sections, which are longer, they make a much thinner kind of parchment. And that way, all of the four sections of the Tefillin Shal Rosh will be filled uh, equally. And that's beautiful for the Tefillin. If after the letters were written, there was a scratch inside the hay or the mem, it's kosher, it's kosher. I feel the nikah called even if all of it was taken out. So we're concerned that there's a hole inside the hay or the mem, and even if the hole occupies the entire space, it is still kosher because the letter is still there, even though the parchment may be missing. In the Yerushalmi Gemara, it's implied that even inside it needs to be completely surrounded by parchment. If the inside leg of the hay was, uh, had a hole in it, even if only a tiny amount remains of that uh, leg of the hay, of the separate leg of the hay, that would be kosher. But other poskim demand that we need at least enough that it would be like a small letter, like a yud, and that's the halacha. If it would be the right hand uh, foot of the hay that was that had a hole in it. If there's enough, that it would be like a small letter, like a yod would be kosher. If not, it's invalid. If one of the letters uh, was separated, was severed, Hagar says one of the straight up letters could go in like a vav or a zayin, or shnitzak regal, or the foot of of a letter. Continues the If a child who is not wise nor foolish, an average child, is able to read it properly, it's kosher. If not, it's invalid. You don't have to cover up the surrounding letters so that he might understand it from context, as people seem to do. If we see that the shape of the letter doesn't remain as it's meant to be, possible, it's invalid. Even if he can read it properly, if we see that it doesn't look like the letter, that's also invalid. This that we say that's kosher if a letter was um, severed. That's only if it was written properly and afterwards it got a hole in it. But if you originally, when it was written, it already had a hole in it, uh, and it was separated. Or if a leg of one of these long letters reaches the end of the parchment with no empty space between the edge and the letter, possible it's invalid. If a little bit of ink fell into the middle of the letter, and now you can't discern what letter it is, the remedy it doesn't work to simply scratch off the ink, and therefore you'll, thereby you'll be able to recognize the letter. Because it fits into a category called engraving from within, and that is invalid. Because you have to write the letter, you can't engrave the letter out of something that's already there. And the same thing would apply in Ta'ah, if he erred, and he wrote a Dalit instead of a Reish, in other words, you've got the Reish, but you've got the extra bit, or a letter base instead of a Kaf, again, it's, a, it's an extended Kaf, you can't simply erase the extra bit to fix up the letter, because you are now engraving the letter out of something that's already there, instead of writing the letter straight up. If you had a regular mem that it was 
that the opening was closed up. It doesn't help to scratch away the place where it's joined up and to open it up. Because, again, we would be engraving from something that's already there. So what's the solution? So take off the entire uh, left-hand side of the letter, and what you have is just the beginning, and then you can write that which you uh, had erased. Because, really, a mem is made, of, made up start of two separate strokes. The first one is already a nun, so that part was okay. And a race that you made into a we need to be strict and say that it's not sufficient simply to take off the extra section or the top of it alone and then write it like it was a race because between the roof and the thigh, it was made invalidly. Therefore, you have to take off the whole thing and start all over. If two letters are joining one another, uh, whether it's before it was complete or after it was complete, possible it's invalid. And if you scratch it off your frida and you separate them, kosher, that would be okay. And it's not considered that you've now engraved it out of something pre-existing. Because each letter on its own was written appropriately. If the uh, leg of the hay or the kuf was touching the roof of the letter, yigro haregel, so scratch off that leg, and rewrite that leg. You don't have to erase the entire letter, because the roof and that separate right-hand section was written properly. So an aleph is made up of one diagonal and then two yuds. One yud is the right way up, one yud is upside down. So if the horizontal section of the yud was touching the diagonal of the aleph, that would be invalid. And it wouldn't be sufficient to simply erase the place where it touches because that would be engraving from already pre-existing. But you have to scratch out everything that was written invalidly and rewrite it. And the same thing would apply of the yuds on a shin and the anatsadi. In other words, those extra little bits uh, that form the word, and similarly on a nine and pei. If they were touching the body of the letter, more than where they're meant to be attached. You test. At the beginning of writing, one should enunciate, I am writing this for the sake of the sanctity of film. Milvadze, and apart from this, every time he writes Hashem, he needs to say that he's writing it for the sake of the sanctity of God's name. It's sufficient to think about it that he's writing God's name for the right for their name. Since in the beginning he began with by enunciating it, later on it's sufficient to think about it. And if he didn't do it ex post facto, then he could be lenient. Name and if he's falling asleep like he should start writing. Because now he no longer has the right kavana to write. You have to be careful uh, when it comes to words that sometimes are written in a shortened version or in a full version. Because if you left off a letter or added a letter, that would invalidate the tefillin. And what happens is now that whoever's putting on this tefillin, every day are making a bracha in vain. And he's going day by day after day without the mitzvah tefillin. And the punishment of the scribe is great. Therefore, in order to be a sofa, you have to be a great 
fear of heaven and uh, someone who fears the word of Hashem, whoever is involved in writing tefillin and preparing them. Every parasha after you write it, you should read it properly with focus, and look at it over twice, three times, and go back and reread it before you place it in your house, in order that one parasha shouldn't be substituted for another. You should test the quill before you start to write the parasha. You shouldn't have too much ink, and he will ruin it. Also, but each time before you write Hashem's name, you should uh, read what you wrote, in order that you shouldn't now have to bury the piece because you've messed up and now it's already got Hashem's name in it. If you find that it's missing one letter, there's no remedy. So tefillin need to be written in the right order. So if afterwards you check them and you found that there's a missing letter, there's no way to fix it because it has to be written in order. And it's in because it says, and they shall be, which means they should be in the right way. But if there's an extra letter, there is a remedy. By scratching it out, if it's at the uh, end or beginning of a word, but if it's in the middle of a word, there's no remedy because if you were to scratch it out it would look like it's two separate words it's permissible to write on the place where you scratched out and the place where you erase it even God's name don't erase it when it's still wet but dry it out well then it will scratch out easily and no no mark will remain any letter that was written improperly and you can't tell the right shape could go in Naga regular Aleph Bagag Ha'alaf like the uh, leg of the Aleph is touching the roof of the Aleph or the face of the Aleph inside uh, to its bottom leg to its bottom part of the roof or the leg of the Hay or regular Kuf Nogim were touching so you had one letter that was divided into two letters could go in Sadi of Yud Nun Shin of Ayin Yud, Oiches, Shnei Zainen, all of these types of letters that if you wrote them with a break in the middle, it would come out as two separate letters. After you'd written them, you went and fixed them up. Now you've completed the trill and you go back and look at it and you wrote it out of order, it would be invalid. But if you went back and you saw that there were letters that were joined and you want to separate them, then that would be okay. Since it's clear what letter it is, when you separate it from its neighbor, that wouldn't be like right. So let's say if you had an Aleph or these other letters, but the separate parts of those letters weren't exactly touching the one another, so they weren't actually connected. Nevertheless, a child who's no genius and not foolish, but he recognizes what letter it is. So you've got an Aleph where the diagonal and the two other parts aren't exactly touching. Even though you wrote it earlier, you can go back and fix it up. Since the shape of the letter was clear, it's not that you've written out of order because the letter is there. It's just a letter that needs to be repaired. And some say to who the same thing would apply. Even if you have the... So a ches is made up of what really looks like two Zions. If they are not touching one another, but it's not so clear that they're separate. Even if a child would read as two Zions, you can still connect it.